0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for life and leadership in Christ. Powered by Greg Fay Insurance. If you haven't talked to Greg yet, do it today. Go to gregfayinsurance.com and get the insurance protection that you need and deserve. Okay, friends, today on the podcast, Repeat Offender, one of my favorite internet friends, Kristen LaValle. Kristen has a brand new book out. Her first full book is... Even if he doesn't, it's about what we believe about God when life doesn't make sense. It's a book about suffering, and I just love uh, Kristen's heart. I love the way that she kind of approaches God open-handedly, and I love the honesty of this conversation. She's been through so much. If you followed her on this podcast or on Instagram, you know she's been through a lot. So this is a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Without any further ado. Here's my conversation with Kristen LaValle. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited to have back for the third time, the legendary Kristen <laughs> LaValle. Kristen, thank you so much for agreeing to be back on the podcast.
1: We're back, baby. <laughs> I love being here.
0: Uh, it's so good. Uh the last time you're here was to talk about silent nights. Right? Yep. Which I if I recall, yep. I was the first podcast episode you, you did post twins. And now Yeah, you were. And now you're doing all the podcasts to talk about this latest.
1: All of them. Yep.
0: <laughs> What's that experience been like for you?
1: <laughs> it's been uh I don't know. Some some days it's good. Some days it's heavy. I am an introvert, so any kind of like interaction is going to drain me, and there are days where I have three interviews back-to-back talking about my traumas, <laughs> and I need to go take a nap afterwards. But it's been fun. It's been a learning experience, and I love talking about my book. So it hasn't been as bad as it could be, I guess. <laughs> Just tiring.
0: Yeah. Well, well, one of the things that I, I'm interested in getting your thoughts on is is that as somebody who's a, an introvert and Who doesn't normally lean into this kind of publicity? This is not who you are. You know, you're not like a jump on and talk. I mean, you've got all the reels on your Instagram talking about the book, which, you know, is an incredible community and all that jazz. But Mm -hmm. how do you take care of you? How do you and Zach manage the family with all of that um, when it when it has to take such a toll
1: Well, Zach is awesome, and he is such a supportive and empathetic human being, So, and we've been together for, I don't know, 17, 18 years, so he's learned a lot about how I cope and how um, I do when I'm not coping well, so over the years, we've just developed different strategies and communication, and he can usually recognize when I'm getting a little burnt out, but in the last couple of years or so, it's never really gotten to the point where I'm burning out before he recognizes it because I can kind of tell, all right, I need I need a minute. I need to go decompress in my room. Nobody talk to me. I'm going to go watch a show or I have these noise-canceling, uh, well, not noise-canceling, they're like noise-muffling um, earbuds that I wear mm. that kind of just like dulls the, the auditory sensory overload. So I can still hear my kids. I can still have a conversation. It just kind of lessens the impact that it has. On me, But yeah, we've just kind of developed strategies for coping and communicating. And we know that we have to take turns giving the other person the space that they need to recuperate. So it's probably one of the things that we fight about the least now because we've just learned to manage our lives in that way.
0: What about the the older kids? Do they have any kind of thought process on what's happening? Do you have some of those discussions with them about all the podcast interviews or when they're allowed to make noise in the house or when they're not, like you could stop it anyway. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, we have, I do most of my interviews out here on our little, we call it the orifice because it's a porch office. Zach hates that word and some of your listeners might hate that word as well, but it's a porch office that we winterized, but it's connected to our kitchen. So when I'm doing interviews, nobody's allowed in the kitchen so that they don't come out here and and interview me. And they're fine because they get to go play roblox or something while mom's on interview so they look forward to me having work because they get to just be on their screens
0: uh listen if you haven't checked out Kristen's instagram yet i strongly recommend it there's actually uh an instagram reel about the orifice and yeah so check that out and it, it's actually a great segue <laughs> into one of the reels that i wanted to talk about you you mm-hmm. i think your friend's name is casey is that right
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. so
0: you and casey uh, created a reel about uh, how Christians talk about uh, yeah. trauma, and it, it's it's kind of blown up a little bit. Will you tell us the the Genesis yeah. story behind all of that, and and then I have lots more follow up questions, but we'll start there.
1: Oh my gosh! Well, we were sitting out here on the orifice, and I was like, I need to come up with a like a funny way of talking about my book and suffering and there's that trend going around that's like oh I'm I'm a woman of course I blah 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 blah. it's this kind of like tongue-in-cheek generalization stereotypes of Of whatever it is that you're identifying uh, as and so we just kind of started riffing like oh i'm a christian of course when i'm sad people are going to tell me i just need to have more faith and we're like sitting here on the office cracking up about the things that we're saying and my husband's sitting out here like rolling his eyes at us and then casey's like oh let's just go do it right now so the genesis to genesis and posting was about um 10 minutes
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing
1: and now it's gone crazy. Yeah,
0: I, so mostly I, I, I read through some of the comments in preparation for today's interview. Oh, my gosh. it's a That's a wild spectrum there.
1: Wild. Wild.
0: How, how has your uh, – I mean, obviously when you post something like that, you know this is going to either be – people are going to take it in the nature in which it's created or people are going to go mm-hmm. crazy. How, how do you manage – what's your policy on all that, on something – um, that, that goes, is gets, you know, you're over half a million views, right? You're it's, yeah. it's a, I mean, probably a viral on it probably right word, I guess. Yeah. yeah I don't know what yeah, qualifies vi- viral or not, but how do you manage all that?
1: Well, you obviously can't predict what is gonna, what the algorithm is going to say. Oh yes, we're going to give this to millions of people, but I kind of usually can, predict people's responses to it and i know okay this is gonna make people mad but there's gonna be a lot of people that connect to it and i always think about what do i want and what i want is for people who can connect to what i'm saying to know that i'm a safe person to follow if you're sick of all this stuff Mm -hmm. obviously i'm being sarcastic and i'm being funny but there's truth to every joke so i I know that people are going to connect to it, I know that's going to and it's going to make people mad. So I kind of just am like, "All right, I know, I know this is this could go one way or the other." I wasn't expecting the volume, and when <laughs> when it started within like an hour, it had thousands of likes and shares. I was like, ruh, ruh, ruh. <laughs> "This is gonna, <laughs> this is gonna be intense." And luckily, it didn't translate to my DMs. It just stayed in the comment section, oh, that's great. and. At, At a certain point, it just – when things like that go viral, it ceases to be yours anymore and people don't recognize you as a person. They just are looking at the video and they're thinking about the ideas and they're not attacking you as a person. They're just – it becomes theirs and they don't follow. They're not going to my page. They're not like inspecting me. They're just reacting to this thing that they saw that they're going to forget about in a couple days. So because I've been on the internet for so long, I'm like, all right, this is not going to be – it's not going to be a huge deal. This is just going to blow over. It is just now this week. I mean, this was like three weeks ago or something. Yeah. Just now this week has started to die off. But, yeah, the comments are really entertaining. If anybody is bored and just wants to go <laughs> read things.
0: It's it's super fascinating how many people spend their time talking to other people in the comments of I other know. people's posts. is that crazy? That seems like a whole different – uh, I And I only visited – the, the comments because I was prepping for this and I was like, I'm curious mm-hmm. what the response is. You know, you mentioned something there about living your life on the internet for so long. Um, you know, how has, how has your approach shifted in the last couple of years as you've continued to grow? And, and now, I mean, you've, you've kind of become an, an expert on, on pain and suffering and trauma as mm. I, I guess is, Someone, yeah, right. <laughs> like a, at least someone who's saying, "Hey, I, I've had experiences that I'm going to share, yeah. and I'm open to listening to your experiences." Mm-hmm. What's that growth been like for you personally?
1: Well, a few years ago, it was um, brutal because I, I put a lot of my self worth into being understood mm-hmm. and being um, validated by people on the internet by comment sections and you kind of like feel like you have to prove yourself. And so you, you and prove yourself and prove that you're doing okay. And um, the way we sort of evaluate whether or not we're doing okay is if people are responding the way we want them to respond. And mm-hmm. so I put a lot of eggs in those baskets and um, that is never a good idea. Whether the responses are good or the responses are, are bad, you're putting your self-worth and your identity into the hands of essentially strangers on the internet who don't know you and they only know what you're showing on the internet. So that was really hard for me for a a while. And I got to this like really unhealthy striving place of always trying to create something that people are going to respond positively to, whether it was um, something about church hurt or something about pain or whatever it was. And I would use, their responses to prove to the haters, hey, you might not like this, but look at all these other people who do like this, and maybe maybe it did prove that to to them, but at the cost of my peace and my ability to sleep at night because I'm constantly worrying. Are people understanding me? Do people get it? Are they mad? Am I helping? Am I hurting? And I just had to like let that go and just let the work be what the work is and get my validation from god and not from other people while also listening to people who know me and who can who have the uh, relational capital in my life to say eh, mm, what's your motivation like, why did you that's probably not a good day and i listen to those people i don't listen to the comment sections as much as i used to and i think you have to stop at some point seeking validation from people who are just really observers and consumers of your work and not people that you have a relationship with
0: mm. I think it's probably a, a really good word for a lot of leaders uh, do, do you one of the one of the rhythms that I've noticed about your life through the internet is is you oftentimes will take some time to go visit friends and part of that is mm-hmm. just respite from kind of you know, having kids and all the stuff that we all need to do. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: do you have a, a set pattern on that or is it more based off of when you're like, I'm 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 having a hard time functioning over here? How how do you decide when it's time to mm-hmm. take a trip?
1: Sometimes it's that. It's just this like, I gotta get out. I gotta I gotta go be with people who are happy to be with me. Um but I usually Try to do those trips when it looks like this outside, when it's snowy and gray and it's harder to get out and do things and see people. Then I'm like, mm, girl trip, who wants to go hang out in St. Pete for a weekend, <laughs> <laughs> which is such a privilege to be able to do that. My husband is amazing and he's like, please go get your vitamin D somewhere. We need you to be happier. Come back in a better mood.
0: <laughs> well, uh, so in this book, you know, even if he doesn't, it's, it's really it's you sharing your heart about your twins and about your trauma and about all mm-hmm. of it, right? But it's it's kind of laced through this lens of suffering. The, the process mm-hmm. of revisiting all of this, what kind of toll did that take on you emotionally?
1: Huge. I was not expecting that because I lived it. I thought, I've already lived this. Writing about it is not going to be that big of a deal. But there were days where I would only get a couple pages written and then I'd nap literally all day. It was emotionally exhausting. So good for me. It was so cathartic in the end, but it was um draining in a way that I I don't think I could have ever predicted how draining that was going to be. It was hard.
0: And I I feel like uh in the process of writing this, you really kind of define some some theology about God and pain and suffering. Can you kind of take us through mm-hmm. some of that journey and how how you Crystallized and put words on paper around what you think God tells us about suffering.
1: Yeah, I sort of started the book talking about what my understanding of suffering was before I really <clears throat> suffered that much um, and how formulaic my ideas of suffering were. I, I thought if I I don't know if I was a good girl and I didn't sin that much and I always confessed and I tithed and I dealt with conflict the right way. And I was just always trying to be pleasing to the Lord that there was a certain measure of protection that I would get from God for that, that he would honor my honoring him by protecting me and blessing me and vindicating me. And what sort of broke that was the, we walked through really, painful spiritual trauma, spiritual abuse. It was a relational trauma. We lost our house. We lost our church community. We had to boot. It was like a whole thing. And when that happened, I was holding my breath, waiting for God to come vindicate me and validate my pain, and he never did. And that broke me, Hmm. broke my identity, broke my understanding of God. And I got to this point where I knew that I was in Well, they call now. I know it's called the wall. It's like the cycle of faith. Everybody comes to the wall where you have to decide, am I going to engage with my with what I believe and wrestle with what I believe? Or am I just going to stay at this wall and not move past this place in my faith? And I got to that place and I and I knew it. And I had a stranger sort of um, call it out and say, oh, you're at the wall. And now you have to decide what you're going to do with the wall. And I decided to just be mad at God and be honest with him and wrestle with um, what I felt was him not holding up his end of the bargain. Like, look at all that. I've given my entire life to you. I've served you. I've been faithful. I've sacrificed. And this is what you give me? No, I'm not okay with this. And it was in that wrestling and that pain and that feeling abandoned by him, forgotten by him, but not just abandoned, but that he abandoned me and took the side of the people that hurt me. It Mm -hmm. was really, really brutal and um, messed up my entire understanding of, of who he is, but through that my faith i always say my faith went from being this neatly lined garden and this very carefully tended to garden like a crop that has the perfect lines and the perfect distance apart you take a ruler you're like all right are these tomatoes three inches apart that's what my faith was and then after that the garden just kind of like blew up and everything was in you know like a like a blender, a salad blender. And then what grew was just this wildflower field of faith and a faith that I felt safe in for the first time because I didn't have the answers. I didn't have a formula anymore, but I had a God that I finally believed was actually good and actually present with me. And I kind of carry you through that process of holding tightly to that formula, deconstructing it, and then finding who God is in the midst of that.
0: You know, one of the things that I was thinking about is like as you were talking about the image of the garden, I was thinking well, you know, your community that you grew up with helped plant that garden, right? And and there was mm-hmm. no ill intent in that, there was no malicious intent no. and all mm-hmm. of that stuff, but as that's kind of been ripped up and put in the blender so to speak, uh mm-hmm. h- how has your how has your family come around this openness, like, (laughs) hey, I deconstructed the faith you gave me and made it my own, and I'm not sure that I would go back and agree with all of that. So, (laughs) hi, Merry Christmas, right? Like, tell me about that.
1: Yeah. Well, luckily... My parents did their own sort of deconstruction. They wouldn't call it that, but that's what it was. They grew up in a holiness type of environment and wear like long dresses. You don't go to bowling alleys. You don't go to movie theaters, that kind of stuff. And as soon as they were of age, my mom chopped her hair. She started wearing pants. My dad went on his own journey and they raised us. In that environment was pretty progressive. Anybody looking at it now would be like, oh, my gosh, Kristen, you weren't allowed to do anything. But for their environment, we were pretty loosey-goosey. We could read Harry Potter. My dad watched The Simpsons. Like, these were things that their community were like, "Mm, what are you guys doing? So I think they have an understanding and they have always had the understanding that the faith you give your kids might not necessarily be the mm. faith that they hold on to through their whole life, but they really focus on the most important things. And the most important things we've all, I have four other siblings, and we've all held on to the core of our faith while changing the expression of it or the doctrines that we really hold on to. Some of them hold on to things really strongly, some a little looser. And thankfully that has not been um a point of contention in my family. With some friends it has been, but with my family they're just kinda like, whatever. Can't control our kids. Like, it's fine. Have ha- <laughs> at least I think. May I dunno. <laughs> <laughs> well
0: that's that's a great that's fair. That's fair, right? Like uh, I was gonna I was gonna ask if if you and Zach have done anything different with your kids in light of all of this mm-hmm. growth and kind of Talk us through, I, you know, yeah. I love to steal good family practices to keep the faith strong. <laughs> like, So, I, you know, I'm curious, what, what are you guys doing differently now that, uh, the, as a result of all this change?
1: There's a lot of things. I think the biggest thing is that we really focus on internal motivators. And I grew up in the church, obviously. My husband didn't. He came to Jesus as a 15-year-old. He's like the only person in the world probably who actually gave their life to Christ because of a gospel tract. So his his upbringing was like very different than mine. But for us, shame was such a core motivator mm-hmm. in why we did things for the Lord and why we chose the life that we did because we were afraid or we were ashamed. So with our kids, we kind of are trying to teach them to do things with a motivation that isn't shame or fear but because of love or because of relationships and it's actually kind of funny we sat down with them last year sometime and i was using this program um i forget what it's called but some kind of like program you can do with church at home and so we're doing with our kids and it was it had all these pictures of different situations and it was like as someone who belongs to god how would you respond to this situation And our kids were like, I don't know, like, what do you do when you belong to God? I don't, and they couldn't answer it. And I said, okay, just forget the belong to God part. What would you do in this situation? And the responses that they gave when I took, because I belong to God, were exactly the responses that you would want them to give. But they just weren't associating be a good person and respond with kindness as belonging to God. So we're like, okay, so we've taught them the right things. We just haven't associated it to you do these things to please God, which is a good thing. We want them to not feel like they have to be perfect all the time so that God is happy for them. But then we were like, all right, now we gotta start tying this (laughs) together a little bit. So you understand Yeah, like your motivator is different, but it's not because you're afraid of God or because God makes you feel shame. So that's probably the biggest thing that we're trying and we're probably not doing it right. What do we know? What does any parent know? We're just trying to do the best we can to not give them the um experience that we had that was negative.
0: I'm pretty sure that my son's little T trauma is going to be directly connected to the fact <laughs> that I was a pastor. Like I just it's just there like it's it's he's graduating high school this year yeah. and so we're just uh, you know, we talk about our wounding and yeah. all of that jazz. And so meh. I believe in a God yeah, that's I mean, big enough to hold all of it. Right.
1: Yeah. I think we all give our kids trauma in some way. But the important thing is that our kids know that they're still safe with us and they're they're not um, we're not going to be mad at them right. if they're like, you did this to me. I'll be like, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was trying.
0: <laughs> you, I, I, Right. You should see what my parents did to me. Like, I mean, like, what do you say? Like, that's it. It's what we got, right? Like,
1: like, welcome to the club.
0: <laughs> you're going To to your kids. Uh, <laughs> yep. What's church look like for you today?
1: Oh, good question. It's it changes. Um, changes. Of the season for us because of the different needs that our daughters, our two year olds, have very high sensory needs that are not always easily accommodated in church. We were part of a home church for a little while, but again, it's just hard with two two year olds that are just like so sensory seeking to not be a distraction. So now we're kind of in the like courting churches phase Mm. where we're visiting churches and We're considering starting something in our house, which I feel like we've been considering that for a long time. We just are like so nervous about how that will affect the girls because they're in this kind of stage where if they get dysregulated for a day, then they're dysregulated for a week. And so so is everybody else in the house. So we're trying to figure out how to balance that. But in the meantime we do church at home with our kids and we consider the community around us to be church. And sometimes we can have all of the elements of a church service in a single day, like prayer and eating food together. There's been spontaneous communions that happen and giving, sharing meat, like whatever it is. So we have all the elements, just not in like an organized way, but we're we're courting and we're looking and we are eager to be in a community again is courting a weird way to say that it might be a weird way to I, say no that.
0: i don't think so right <laughs> like i i kind of um uh, so one one of the things when I, whenever i meet somebody who's kind of like visiting a church and they're always like mm-hmm. oh we're just visiting i'm like oh you you're taking applications right like that's kind of how i yeah, i yeah, think yeah. about it you're taking applications it's like and, a blind date yeah you know like you, you're trying to decide if you're going to swipe left or right or, you know, I I mean, I've yeah. been married for so long. I've never done any of that, but like wouldn't even know how to start <laughs> over again. Um But yeah.
1: What is Tinder? Right. right what's?
0: <laughs> oh, I'm so I wouldn't know what to do if I had to start over again.
1: Oh, my gosh. N- never.
0: Yep. No. Um, Happy
1: to be the age that I am.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know but i i do think it's it's what what i like about your particular part of the story and for as long as i've known you since the rv days right like you've mm-hmm. always been really intentional with your community right and mm-hmm. and one of yeah. the things that i know about happens in in this book is that community is such a a big part of dealing with suffering Mm -hmm. and so undoubtedly there's someone who's listening who has somebody in their community who's suffering how how would you encourage them to come alongside somebody and and maybe it's not a high-risk pregnancy with twins maybe it's you know maybe it's grief maybe Mm -hmm. it's something you know who knows what it is it could be anything that could cause us pain and suffering how how do we as community members support people without being weird
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing, right? How do I not be weird about well, that? I... I, like
0: sometimes I can come on a little strong, right? Like from like yeah. me, I'm an aide on the Enneagram. Like I'm like, let's uh-huh. help. Let's help right now. You know, for Jesus, yeah. for you, for everybody. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to cry in my bed. And I'm like, well, I can't help you there. I got nothing. So yeah, no.
1: <laughs> it's like, how do I, I like I want to help you, but I also don't want to harm you. Right. But I'm just like, I'm so aggressively wanting to help right. you. <laughs>
0: It's like I will love you well, and think- squeeze you to death. What's that? Looney Tunes, Elmira, yeah. or whatever it was? Like
1: yeah. Love You and Squeeze? You. Yeah, I don't know. But isn't she the one that flushes them down the toilet? Uh, no, I don't
0: remember. Maybe. <laughs> maybe probably.
1: <laughs> let's not flush let's- people down no, the toilet. Not. That's not. that's probably not a good idea. Help us not be weird. Um, well I think <laughs> Well, I don't know if I can help you do that, but I can maybe help you not cause harm in your weirdness which great. is the ultimate ultimate goal. But I think when people come to us from he- for help or like if you're in a position of leadership and there's somebody who's suffering in your church, I think sometimes we feel like we have to be the savior or that people are looking at us to rescue them and sometimes they are. Sometimes especially if mm-hmm. you're in leadership People are looking to you because you have authority and they're like, tell me how to make this stop. How do I How do I get out of this? I don't want to feel like this. I don't want these things to be happening to me. How do I make it stop? And they want that formula like what we were talking about. And in your eagerness to help, in your passion to help, it can feel like I have to give them something that will make it better. Yeah. I have to say something. I have to perform some act, I have to tell them this profound thing that's going to make it all go away. And that might, for a second, they might say, okay, Tony told me this, so I know it's going to get better, but then it doesn't. So what Tony said that was helpful in a month or two is actually harmful well, because maybe you promised them something that you can't promise them. Not calling you out, but just yeah, out, yeah, because no, you're it's great, here, yeah. so I'm, used, I'm using your name. But I think we... Think that if we just sit with somebody in their pain, that that's not enough, that if we're just present with them, that that's not enough. We have to do something, especially with somebody that you care about. You just want to like, like when my kid's feelings get hurt, I want to beat the kid that hurt their feelings up because I just want to do something like that's my kid. I want to make your pain stop, but you can't always make the pain stop. So I always think about Job's friends who we just give them such a hard time because they said a lot of dumb stuff. I will, well, I'll admit that. They, they were wrong. But before they even spoke, they sat with him for seven days wow. and just grieved with him. And they even said, let's just not say anything because we can see that his grief is too much. So they just experienced and stepped into that grief with him. And I think my understanding of that is that because they did that, they earned their right to speak to his pain. And then they blew it, obviously. Sure. But even in that, I think there's good – I think there – they're speaking to his pain, even saying the wrong thing, educed a response from him so that he could say, no, I don't think you're right about that. But before he could have self-awareness of his own pain and his own process, he had to sit with it. And sometimes I think the best thing you can do is say, I'm so sorry you're in pain. I don't know why this is happening. I don't have any answers for you. Here's a casserole and I'm going to sit with you. In this and I'm not going to be anxious I'm not going to panic I'm not going to judge your pain management or criticize or tell you all right clock is ticking like aren't you over this yet I'm just going to sit here with you while you thrash and give you the best support that I can give you keep you safe while you're thrashing in your pain and pray for you from a distance pray for you up front but not try to push you past your pain
0: Hey guys, just pausing this conversation with Kristen to tell you about a brand new partnership that I'm so excited to share. It's Elevate and Company. It's a real estate company that wants to help you find your dream home. Trent Barga is a dear friend of mine and he is so good at helping identify your needs in the real estate market. Maybe it's investments, maybe it's your next home, maybe it's your dream home. All of that can be possible through Trent. Contact him today. Go to elevateandcompany.kw.com. We'll have a link in the show notes. And while you're in the show notes, don't forget to sign up Life and Leadership Newsletter. Go to my website, follow the number twoleaguecoaching.com. It's where you can get all the information to make sure you don't miss any important emails for me. Celebrating all that God is doing in this community, a community that wouldn't be possible without you. Now let's finish up this conversation with Kristen. Is there a point um, when, when as a friend, you're watching someone thrash in pain, and like you're concerned for their mental health slash safety, right? Like, is, do you, mm-hmm. is there ever a time when you should pull somebody out of the the, the mud puddle, or is it? more just about just getting in there with them or and, and making sure they're safe that way? Or is that too nuanced of a question to kind of put a broad stroke on?
1: I mean, it's probably nuanced, but I think if someone's a danger to, to themselves, that's one thing. Um, I think that would require stepping in and saying, okay, we're going to let you keep thrashing, but we're going to make sure you're safe while you're thrashing. Um, but I think... There's really no way to actually pull someone out unless they're ready to climb out. And that can feel really forceful and can make someone go even more insular Mm. um, because they aren't ready for that kind of care yet. I think the longer that you sit with somebody in that, the more, um, like we said before, relational capital that you earn to be able to say to them, look we got to, maybe we need to move this in a different direction. Maybe we need to go to therapy. I'll go with you. I'll sit with you if you want me to sit with you. But I think we need to take a step forward. But if you're just jumping in and saying that to somebody, they're going to be like, "Uh, no, and it's going to make it even worse. Once you've earned the right to speak to that, you've earned that relational capital like Job's friends did, then I think you can say, all right, I, we we got to step in here. Um, but I would say the line is definitely if somebody's becoming a danger to themselves or if they're not able to care for their family, if their kids are being neglected. Sometimes mental health issues can cause you to just not see what's happening around you. It isn't intentional, it's just you're just so consumed. That's what I would say. Community, step in, feed the kids, clean the kids, clean the house. And um, I mean, that's a really specific instance but just things like that where you where you can see that there's actual harm being done instead of being judgmental to the person that is causing the harm because of their issues step in and help and if you've earned that capital speak to it
0: do you find now that this uh this book is almost out in the world that everybody wants to talk to you about their trauma and harm oh yeah how's that how's that how's that how's that working out for you (laughs) (sighs)
1: it's hard because like I want to help and I want to be able to offer a response but my responses now are are not going to be as good as they would have been a month ago because I'm so tired and I don't have I don't have it in me to respond to everybody in that same way so it's almost to the point where I'm like it's probably better for people who are messaging me if I don't look at their message or respond to it because I might say something that's harmful and not as sensitive Mm. as I want to be because I'm just kind of like talking about it so much that I I'm worried I'm getting desensitized to it and there are other things other times where I just get overwhelmed by it and I'm like I I literally can't I I just can't I want to hold your pain and I'm sorry you don't have anyone to talk to I just can't it's really hard it's really hard for me
0: well, and part of it is right, is that you're so vulnerable in the writing and, and you know I've been yeah. following your writing for a couple of years now, right so you, you've always been vulnerable in your writing, so it it feels mm-hmm. like people know you at a level mm-hmm. that is super authentic and intimate and and to to an extent yeah. they do, but they don't you yeah. don't know them in return. It would be impossible for that to work both ways. So mm-hmm. I imagine there's a tension there all the time how, how does your uh, how does your community? Kind of come around that, um, come around you when when so many people are are kind of striving for your attention.
1: I think I have a a community that understands my uh, my need to regroup mm. and decompress, and so I have a lot of friends and people who are in my inner circle, and then that the circle that's right outside of your inner circle that understand that me not responding to their texts is not personal or me saying I can't go do this thing or if they're like hey can I come over and help you with stuff and I'm like no it's not because I don't want to see you it's because I can't even like be around I can't even have like physical presence in my life (laughs) that's beyond what I'm I have the capacity for and it's not personal it's just I just need need a second, and I'm so grateful to have people who understand personal limitations because they have their own personal limitations. Maybe it's because everyone in my community has some kind of mental health (laughs) struggle. We all have trauma, so we just like understand each other. I have a friend who comes over every Monday and brings us a meal, and she just like drops off the meal and says "see you later." She doesn't try to stay and linger and hang out. She's just like feeding us through this busy work promotion book promotion season, but yeah, they're just people that are really understanding and I'm really, really grateful for that.
0: Uh, speaking of book promotion, this is kind of, uh, it's weird because for me, you've been writing a long time, but this is really the first like big rollout of a book and everything. How are all your feelings? Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you know, as you and I record this, we're like three weeks out, I think from the book being out there. Yeah. Um, how, how's how's the emotional roller coaster of putting a book out and a a big time book out into the wilderness.
1: There's a level of disassociation, I think where I'm just like not letting myself think too far about it. Or I'm like, I just can't think about what could happen in three weeks. I just have to like think about today, but it's a lot of, of reliving emotions, talking about the book when I do interviews and people want to, want to talk about the hardest things in the book. And then, decompressing from that and then having to go into marketing meetings and create graphics and there's such a tension of this really vulnerable book that I have to promote in a really business type of way so I can kind of get kind of fractured Mm -hmm. but I have a trip planned for after release week that I'm like that's gonna be the weekend that I just kind of like breathe get a sunburn so you can press, then get back into the business side of things, which will be like promote, continuing to promote the book. And then I have to write another book. So I have to sort of like compartmentalize everything.
0: That's amazing. Uh, I'm going to ask another question about that other book and I'll, okay. I'll put a pin in that. But um, okay. you also read this book for the audiobook. Can you tell us about that experience? I
1: did. Oh my gosh. I was so nervous when my editor emailed me and she said, hey, here's the information for the audiobook we got to book this studio and i was like i'm reading this i'm narrating this book i'm sure that was in my contract i just like didn't think about it but okay i was just so nervous because i had speech impediments as a kid like the kind where they pull you out of class you do speech therapy and you like you know, play with Play-Doh, whatever. So I did that as a kid, kind of grew out of it. And then as a an adult, I have this condi- condition called hypodontia, where I just don't have the right amount of teeth. So my teeth started shifting, and that changed my speech patterns. And there are a lot of words that I write that I can't say really well, and that's never been a problem because I can just write them. I don't have to use them. And when I'm talking on Instagram, I can curate what I'm saying so I don't have to say these words. But then I wrote a book full of these words, so now I have to figure out how to say them. So I panicked, and I ended ended up hiring a drama coach who works with kids who s- have speech impediments, and she uses drama as a way of helping them overcome their fears and learn how to say words, things like that. So I hired her for an hour and read my book to her, and she would stop me and help me, like give me notes on what I was doing to um, make the book sound a lot better. So by the time I got into the studio, I was a little bit more comfortable, and the audio engineer was great. She sure. was really... Empathetic and compassionate, and knew what he was doing. And he would often stop me and be like, "You sound like you're rushing through this. You sound like you're yelling." Like, I I get that this is a hard book to read, but you gotta like slow down. So the pacing of the book, the tone, everything is really just because of these people that helped me get <laughs> get through it because I was terrified, terrified. But it ended up really good. I think it sounds pretty good.
0: Oh well, listen, I I told you this before we hit record that. The Goodreads comments on the audiobook are like they're they're very very uh complimentary of all the work that went into that by you and the whole team so kudos to you and yeah. and I haven't listened to the audiobook, but now i'm I'm so intrigued by it. I will definitely pick up a copy <laughs> of that so <laughs>
1: You know, what's really cool, I didn't know that they, they do, is when you go in every day, so you do your first session, and then the next time you go in, before he start, they start recording, they auto-tune you to make sure your pitch each day is the same as the first day, which I had no idea that your pitch, it, it varies day to day, but we would sit there for like five minutes and be like, hang on, I got to get your pitch in the right place. I'm like, that is so cool. I didn't know that.
0: You know I, that makes sense as I think about it, but I didn't know that either. That's incredible.
1: Yeah, and they just match really cool. it against
0: the previous day, so it sounds like the exact same voice yeah. the whole time.
1: Yeah, isn't that cool? Man. <laughs>
0: um, okay, let, let me ask you this: Is a, a year from now, one year from <laughs> now, um, what are we okay. celebrating about what God has done through this book?
1: Oh, we are celebrating people feeling seen and understood in their pain and feeling that their pain is valid. And we're celebrating people who have learned to hold other people's pain a little bit better and have a better perspective and understanding of the process of trauma and the process of spiritual abuse and how that affects our brains and our bodies and our lives as we're healing from that. What I really really, really hope is that people have compassion for Mm. themselves and for other people because pain is so complex and we try to make it really simple. And we, when we see someone thrashing in their pain, if we've never experienced that, we can be really judgmental and and critical of their process. So I hope that, or our own process too. So I hope that people have a little bit more grace on themselves and on other people.
0: I love that. Can you give us a teaser to what the next book is going to be?
1: Who?
0: I don't know if you like allowed Tony to talk about Tony wants the it. tea. I, I do.
1: Well, I, <laughs> I haven't confirmed it yet. So I haven't – I don't actually know if this will be what the book is, but I want it to be um, – I did this series on my substack this past summer called Unfettered where mm. I talked about the 10 things I did to heal and to be um, – better functioning to heal from anxiety and depression and the um, even those those are kind of chronic issues in my life the hold that they had on me and the hold that my self-hatred had on me from just growing up in a shame-filled environment so i kind of want my next book to be a lighter read than this one and less trauma and more here are the steps i had to take after the trauma was passed to heal and to function and to be a better mother and a better wife and not to be so consumed by my pain and the way my pain had affected my life.
0: Okay. Well, we'll I hope
1: that's what it'll be about. we'll see. I, so <laughs>
0: does that, how does that work? Do you get to just kind of like make that suggestion and then the publisher mm-hmm. gets to say yes or no. And I'm assuming yep. you signed a two book deal. Is that the deal? Yeah. So they, yep. they're, they're going to get something from you. Whether they, right, yeah, yeah, Yeah. Great. That's awesome. whatever they want. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's perfect. Uh, OK, where can everybody I have one more question for you, but, but where can everybody find you on the interwebs? Where's the uh, obviously the Substack is so good. So if you don't subscribe to our Substack, please do so immediately and follow her on Instagram. <laughs> where else can they learn about the book specifically?
1: Um, Instagram has a lot of information about the book and then my website has has more information about what it's about and if there's a little uh clip of the audiobook and all the pre-order goodies if you are listening to this before the book comes out but yeah all the information will be right there
0: great and we'll link to all that in the show notes of course uh okay last question i always love to ask people it's an advice question i ask you to go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice except um Mm. i get the name the season of life that you're in Okay. We've done this before. So, I, but this time I want to take you back uh to the end of the very first session of writing this book. Right? You've you have i I'm assuming you op- do this on a laptop. In my head it could could mm-hmm. be a very it could be a typewriter, a manual typewriter with like a cup of tea. <laughs> That's probably over-romanticizing <laughs> it. But uh At the end... That's the vibe. Yeah, that's the vibe. That's what I hope... (laughs) In my head, that's the vibe. When I think of you, that's the vibe. Yeah, Um, that is. So at the end of the first day of writing, this cathartic experience about your trauma and becoming kind of an an expert on how we handle pain and suffering, what would you go back and tell yourself about what the journey that you're about to go on?
1: I would tell myself that (laughs) that the book is not going to be terrible you think right now that this is going to be the worst thing that you ever wrote and nobody's going to read it and that's not true keep writing write a really bad first draft because the second and third drafts are going to be a lot better (laughs) it's not as serious but i i went through a little um existential crisis of being a writer after that first session. I can't do this. I'm never going to write anything again. I'm a terrible writer. So I would be like, no, just, it's going to get better. I promise.
0: <laughs> That's good. Well, I, I think it's probably a good word for all of us, right? Just to sometimes you just got to do it and, and just trust that yeah, it. it'll get go. better. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> Kristen, it's, I always enjoy chatting with you. Um, I, I really appreciate your, your willingness to be on and, and be so generous with your time. And um, I know it's valuable. So thank you. Thank you. I told you guys, what a great conversation. I deeply appreciate her heart, specifically around what it means to live into suffering. I think it's something as Christians that we don't do well. I think it's something that we often struggle with. And I want you to be a better sufferer because we all know suffering is going to happen. It's unavoidable. So pick up a copy of the book. Let Kristen know that you heard her here on the podcast. As always, it's one of the ways that we share what God is doing. So I'm thankful for you for the opportunity to continue to build this community and to have you be a part of it. And remember, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.